Good morning. Well, today we talk about the future. Where is this church headed? And I'm sure for a lot of you, you've all had to wrestle with those kinds of decisions where you, you, you've had something before you and you've wondered, what do I do? Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us have experienced the, the job crisis. You know, what, what job do I take? How long do I stay in it? Where do I where do I move? You know, we, we get married now. Now, what do we do? Uh, I, I think for some of us, we may have wrestled with, you know, what church do I go to? There's so many churches in this area. How do I know which one is the one that, that the Lord is calling me to? Or, or at times, we, we know that there are people who, who need help and, and we want to help them. And we're just trying to figure out what, what's the best way to, to invest in their lives and support them, right? We wrestle with these kinds of decisions. And so what do we typically do? Well... We go to the Lord in prayer and we pray. We say, God, give me wisdom. God, give me direction. What am I to be doing in this situation? And sometimes God gives us a very clear answer. Sometimes God waits in his answer and that causes a little impatience in us. Sometimes God doesn't really give us an answer, right? And I think those are the hardest times because we're like, God, I'm coming to you for an answer and I'm expecting something in return. And when we don't get that, we're wondering, what else am I supposed to do? What do I do? I've got a choice I have to make, and I'm not sure what it is that I should be doing. Right? Those are real hard things that we have to deal with sometimes in life. Uh, and Because what do we want? We really want this. We, we have a decision. And we want to go to God and we go, for instance, God, I've got two jobs, not sure which one I should take. God, make it very easy. We wake up the next day and in your inbox, in your email, you got both job offers. And one says you can have a job for a million dollars. The other one says you're going to be a volunteer. Black and white, I know exactly which job I should take, right? That's what we're always longing for. We're looking for the clear cut answer as to what God is calling us to do. Well, the good news is, again, God's word is faithful to us and God's word is going to guide us how it is that we approach something along these lines. So we're going to be in the book of Proverbs today, Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And I know some of you might be thinking, why are we still in the Better Than series, right? We just finished the book of Hebrews. We should be done. That's true. We finished the book of Hebrews but we didn't actually finish the series itself. We, we have this last piece before we move on into our next series, uh, which will be talking about why Penn Valley Church, right? Why is, what is the role and why we come here? Um, but again, just to kind of backtrack a little bit to kind of understand the thinking behind this. So we spent the new year looking at the last half of John. What did God do? How did commit to us. And then we took that and we moved into the book of Hebrews and said, here's all the ways that God is committed to us. And now what we're looking at and trying to understand is if God is better than anything else in this world, I'm going to commit my life to him and give my life over to him, regardless of the circumstances that I'm going through. And we looked last week at the end of Hebrews in chapter 13, where he basically says, look, I'm now talking to you Christians. Those of you that are going to faithfully follow God, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to say, here's how you are to act 
as a believer. Here's how it is that you are to follow Jesus Christ. Now, he gives us some very generic and general principles, though, right, of, of kindness and, and faithfulness and love, um, right, kind of more character pieces, but in a very practical sense, but what does that mean? What do I actually do now? How do I follow Christ? And that's what we're really going to kind of address today. So actually, the sermon itself is really kind of the theological understanding of this. And then as we move to the vision meeting after church, that'll get more into the specifics and details of what we are trying to accomplish this year uh, and then moving forward. So that's kind of the backstory as to why we're, we're doing this now. We're looking at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was the wisdom book, mostly written by Solomon. Uh, and the first nine chapters are really an intro to the book of Proverbs, where he basically says, here is where wisdom comes from, right? You have wisdom of the Lord, wisdom of the world, and challenging the person to say, which one are you going to follow? Are you Follow the wisdom of God, or are you going to follow the wisdom of the world? And then after that, the rest of the book is primarily all of these kind of short little pithy sayings about what wisdom is. So just to give you a couple, uh, pride goes before destruction, right? Or we say pride goes before the fall, right? Just short little verse that's in there. Uh, hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty, right? That makes sense. If I work hard, right, there should be prosperous. Or this one. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Right? So, again, these are just short little sayings that the Bible offers as a source of wisdom of how to live your life. Now, what I really liked about, uh, as I was doing some study, the Bible Project, if you don't know the Bible Project, is actually a lot of videos. It does a really good job of visually capturing this information. It talks about Proverbs this way. It, it says that Proverbs is really a book of probabilities and not promises, right? That if you are going to follow Christ, typically the likelihood, the probability that you will find success uh, in the long run. If you're going to follow a life of sin, most likely you're going to find ruin and destruction. Now, again, it's a probability. We know that in this world, we are not always guaranteed that life is going to turn out perfect for us. We saw that when we studied the book of John, right? He tells his followers, you're going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted. But in a large sense, if we follow the ways of the Lord, most likely life will turn out on the better side, right? Than if we were to not follow the ways of the Lord. Okay, so that idea of probabilities, uh, again, over... Um, promises in that sense. Okay, so we're going to follow Christ. We, we are, we're going to act like him. We're going to do what he wants. But what does that actually mean on a day-to-day -day basis? How is it that I then shape and plan my life as we move forward? Okay, so again, if you have the book here, Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 9, it says, To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of the heart, but be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord... He makes even his enemies live at peace with him. 
Better a little with righteousness than gain with injustice. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So when we look at something like Psalms and Proverbs, there's a lot of poetic literature. Uh, and a couple of things that we see there, uh, these, these ongoing uses when they write this poetry, the first one is parallelism. So you see that in verses four and five and seven and eight, that essentially a parallelism is just the idea that I'm gonna take an idea and then I'm gonna say it again. And it's just gonna kind of repeat that idea to reinforce it, or it's gonna be an extension of that idea. So a lot of times when you read something, you keep feeling like I'm reading the same thing again and again and again. You also have the antithesis, which is one and two, right? This idea that you have man's plans, but then you have God's plans, right? They're, they're, they're opposites of one another. Um, and then you also have this kind of chaotic structure, which is this idea that, that you have an idea here, that's gonna be repeated all the way down here, and you kind of have these similar ideas as you go through the passage. So verses one and nine are really repeating the same idea with some of the similar stuff following in between. So these are some things that we see again and again as we go through this poetic literature. Now, as we go through it, in this case, one of the things that brings us to is this idea of human responsibility versus divine sovereignty. I think we've all probably wrestled with that question. How much am I supposed to do versus how much I just let the spirit and God work? And that can be a very tough thing for us to understand because we, we wanna be responsible, but we certainly do not wanna do what the Lord doesn't have us to do. So does that mean I stand around and I do nothing and I just wait for God to act? I mean, because in some regards that seems silly, doesn't it? I'm just going to sit here and then magically God's just going to make it work and, and poof, you know, magic happens, right? Our, our brains don't work like that. So, so what are we supposed to do? Well, the answer is we do both, right? And I know nobody ever likes those answers because it feels like a very political type of answer, right? But no, that's the reality that God is saying to us in this passage, we are going to be responsible and do our job and we're also going to trust that God is going to do his will. So let's walk through this passage to help us understand where is our role in all of this and what is the role of the Lord as we move forward. So the first thing that he says is in verse one, to man belongs the plans of the heart, right? Now, we are all different levels of planners, right? We could decide to go on a trip and go on a vacation, and some of you who are planners will get into the car and drive and go, we'll figure it out when we get there. That's your level of planning. Some of us are gonna do all of the research, we're gonna find the best deals, we're gonna get all the coupons, we're gonna get everything packed up, make sure everything's tight and ready to go, and we're gonna have the checklist for the checklist. Some of you are those types of planners, right? But we have all different kinds of level of planning. But, but what does God mean in this sense? When we talk about plans, we're talking about a systematic arrangement order or careful thought. We're going to sit down and weigh out the pros and cons and say, what is the best 
possible decision that we can make. We are going to consider what the cost is. We're going to consider what the reward may be. And then we are going to make a decision off of that before we actually act. So when we say plans, I'm sorry those of you who spur the moment people, that's not what the Lord is talking about in this particular case. But again, it's a thoughtful, well-planned idea, not just kind of a half-baked, you know, spur the moment type of thinking here. Okay. Now, in some of this, though, we do know that we could spend months and months and months as a group planning something, and then we, we, we have the event, and then all of a sudden it goes completely different than the way that we anticipated. And then we get back and we go, why did we even bother planning? It didn't make any sense because, you know what, whatever we planned, it just took its own route. It's kind of like if you've ever had a kid's birthday party. Right. You do all the planning. You get all the food. You send out all the invitations. You get all the decorations. You have all the presents stacked. Just wrapped perfectly. You, you've you know, you filled up the water balloons because you're going to have the water balloon toss. And, and it, you're, you're just waiting and the cake is all made. And then the kids come and they just tear into everything and they run around and they're just dumping water on each other. And the, the kids are just diving into the cake. And you're like, we're going to sit down and open presents. And you're like, oh, the kids have already halfway opened the presents and half of the kids are outside. And you're just like, at that point, I should have just like opened the doors and there's a party and throw a bunch of trash out there and just let the kids go to town, right? I mean, that, that's sometimes what it feels like. So why bother plan if the event is just going to take its own direction anyway? Well, we plan because of Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The reason why we are planners is because God is a planner. And if God is a planner, then I am a planner because I am made in the image of God. And if we're not sure about that, take a look at Ephesians 1 and how God had a plan before the creation of the world. And also take a look at Exodus 25 through 28. God was very specific when he spoke to Moses and said, here's how I want my tabernacle, and here's how I want all of the furnishings, and here's how I want all the priestly garments, and here's how you're supposed to make the sacrifices. There is a slew of details that God inserts into his scripture. Because why? Because God is a planner, and so are we. Okay? So we shouldn't be surprised then that in our hearts that God has given us this idea to make plans. Okay? That is, there's a human responsibility that we have when we do the ministry and the work of the Lord. Okay? Now, the second part of this, though, is, but how do we make those decisions? Right? Because I can plan anything I want, but what does that actually look like then? Because we're really, really good at convincing ourselves that our plans are good ideas, right? Uh, you know, it says there, all a man's ways seem innocent to him. Right? Again, I, I could take that job for a million dollars and I can convince myself that is the best thing that God wants me to do. Because now with that million dollars, I'm going to give a money, a ton of money to the church. And I'm going to honor God with this amount of money that I, I absolutely should take it. And then at the very same breath, your pregnant wife with three little kids is sitting there looking at you and going, I'm sorry, how many times a year are you going to have to be away for this business trip? 
Well, honey, it's just going to probably be, I don't know, maybe like 100, 200, 200 days a year. Uh, yeah, that's probably not the best idea moving forward, right? But we can convince ourselves of those things. We can convince ourselves of anything. We're really good at talking ourselves into whatever we want to do. So how is it that we decide what we should actually be doing then? Well, in this part, uh, he talks about this idea that the motives are weighed by the Lord. Now, this is actually kind of a play off an Egyptian understanding because in Egyptian religion, when a person died, they would actually have their heart weighed on a scale uh, against a feather. The feather was a symbol of Mayat, uh, who was the goddess of truth, order, and justice. And if the scales balanced, essentially that meant you were able to pass into the afterlife. But if the scales didn't balance, well, your heart would be devoured by Amet, who is this kind of crocodile lion, who was the devourer of souls at that point. And so what we're trying to understand here is that when we say our motives are weighed by the Lord, we are putting what we want to do on a scale of God's truth and justice and righteousness. And we have to look and make sure that what we are attempting to do is actually going to match up with what God wants. Does it, does it fit to his scriptures? Does it fit to the character of who God is? Does it fit to the plan of God? If that is the case and our scales are weighed out, then that is going to be pleasing and honoring to the Lord. But if we put our motives against what God wants, we should see that the scales are tipped and realize this is not a plan that's going to honor the Lord. This is not a plan that's going to match up with his scriptures, and we very much should not consider going through with what we're planning on doing. Okay, so that's what he means with this idea that our hearts are weighed by the Lord. So we make our plans. We make sure our plans align with the word of God and the plan of God. And then what does he tell us to do with our plans? Well, then he says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. Now, it's an interesting word. This word commit means to actually to roll. Okay, so we have to think of it like what we have is a giant stone that we are actually rolling over to the Lord. And when we roll this stone over to the Lord, what we are doing is actually making a symbolic understanding here that we have a burden or a weight or something that we cannot manage ourselves and we take it to God and we present it at his feet and say, this is now yours to deal with. And it's also, there's a level of finality to it. Like, we've done all the planning that we could. We made sure it matched up with the word of God. We've thought about it. We've prayed. We've discussed. We've discussed. Now we take it to the Lord and we go, here you go, God. Now this is yours. And then we step back. That's what it means when we commit our ways to the Lord. Now, in that process, though, he says your plans will Succeed. I mean, it should be a no-brainer then, right? That if my, my, my ways match up with God, I commit them to God, then they're all going to succeed. Well, we have to consider this idea of success. Colossians 3. It's okay, Dave, nobody saw you. <laughs> Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do 
for the glory of the Lord. See, for a lot of us, success is a very, like, it's a very manageable piece, right? For, for many of us, success is this idea of winning and losing. It's this level of prosperity that, that either I'm climbing the social ladder and my bank, my bank account continues to grow and grow. There, there is success because it's measurable in terms of what I'm doing. That, that's, that's how we oftentimes see what success is. But we have to remember that in a spiritual context, success doesn't always look like that. I mean, Penn Valley can grow to thousands upon thousands and thousands of people. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually doing the will of God. It can be very easy to entertain people at church and not actually share the truth of God with them. And so we have to consider that when we think about what success actually is. And so... When, when we consider this, think about 1 Corinthians 3, 6, right? It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Sometimes for us, success is never even seen. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody give a testimony that said, somebody mentioned Christ to me 20 years ago, and it took me this long to have all of these little pieces in my life before I finally came to understand and you think, what about that person 20 years ago who would have loved to have been in the seats when they heard you say that? But they'll never have that opportunity of hearing it until one day they see you in heaven. Right? So, so success is not always an external, outright thing that we always see right away. As a matter of fact, it may be something that we never see. You know... When we do this, we go, okay, Adam, if I'm going to follow Christ, and I'm going to think about it, I'm going to pray over it, and I'm going to commit them to the Lord, why do plans fail sometimes? I mean, if they are God-honoring plans, why do they fail? Chris has been reading books to the kids about these missionaries like David Livingston or, or, or Abraham Judson. Uh, and I'll tell you, some of these books are like horror stories. He picks his family up. They go, they go to India. They go to China. They go to Africa. And you know what happens? The family gets sick. The wife, the kids, they all get sick and they die. And he has this ministry that just seems like one endless obstacle after another. And you go, God, he picked up his family to do missionary work in your name. And you're just going to allow them to die? That's not success. Or what about Nate Saint? Remember the missionary who went down to, to Ecuador? He went to speak with these tribal people and share the love of Christ with him. And what did they do? They put a spear into him and they killed him. You're going to tell me that is success? Yeah, that is success. Because as I've said, we have to remember that success it's not always external, but you know what it is? Success is faithfulness to God. If God is calling us to something and we are going to live our life for him, it may not turn out the way that we envision or the way that we want. But if we are willing to follow and honor him, 
then that is successful. Okay, so what about the, the, the plans that fail? What do we do with that? Well, you know what? Part of it is we need to consider our planning. Part of it is we need to go back and go, was that actually really a good idea? Was planning a youth pool party in the middle of winter the best idea? Probably not. There's a reason why a lot of kids didn't show up and that kid got hypothermia, right? So, so, so part of that is just a reality that we always need to come back and say, listen, this didn't go the way that we envisioned. Let's step back. Are there things that we could have done or ways we could have planned better? Yeah, there's always ways that we could have planned better. The other reality is we live in a broken, fallen world, right? Sin corrupts and sin destroys. Satan does not want the plans of God to move forward because he does not want our Lord and Savior to be worshipped. And he will step in the way and try to disrupt and destroy anything that is going to try and honor the Lord. There is a reality to the demonic forces in this world that exist. And so what about those plans? Well, God deals with them as well. What does he say there in verse 4 and 5? He said, the Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart, but be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. God is going to deal with the evil and the vile in this world. God is going to return and he is going to put an end to Satan and there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth and God's people will remain. So when we have brothers and sisters in places like China and places like Iran, who that the very mention of their name could be a death sentence, that was success for them because they faithfully followed the call of the Lord. And those government officials who stand there and persecute our fellow brothers and sisters around this world will stand before a holy God one day and they will give an account and he will cast them into the fiery furnace of hell and they will be dealt with. And trust me, when that day comes for you in eternity, you won't be thinking about how your plans didn't work out here. You're just going to be glad that for all of eternity you will be in the throne room of the presence of God. So we have to remember that as well, that when we plan, we're not planning for just an earthly world, but we're planning for an eternity as we move forward. So now we're at verse 6. And what he does now is he gives a couple verses here, and he just reminds us about plans again. And he says, again, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. He says, let me just remind you again that when we plan in this world, that Christ has dealt with your sin, that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and that your faith in him will allow you into his presence and you will receive the righteousness of Christ. And if you want to avoid sin and evil in the future, then what do you do? Well, you follow the fear of the Lord. Well, again, when we say fear, we often think, you know, am I to be terrified of God? This, this lightning bolt's going to come crashing down upon me if I sin? No, that's not what fear means. But it's a reverence and it's an awe for an understanding of a holy God and the finite power that he has. That I, I should be so detested by my sins that, that I don't ever dare want to venture into that realm again. 
Because God is good and God is love. And, and that's, that's what we do. And then again, as he, he goes on to say that, remember what I said, Proverbs is a probability and not a promise. That he reminds us again that if you follow the ways of the Lord, it's most likely going to turn out well for you and look good for you. And he says, look, in, in verse 7, when a man's ways are pleasing, even his enemies live at peace with him. How many of you have ever been at, at work or, or in your neighborhood or, or even, even in your family, you're the black sheep of the family or you're the black sheep at work because you're the Christian and everyone's railing on you and everyone's making fun of you. And then when something bad in their life happens, who's the first person they come to? See, that, that, that's what I think it means that, that when we follow Christ and we stand in there, that when push comes to shove, there's a lot of people that will recognize the character of God through us. And that's the blessing that we have when we follow his ways. And we live in a world that is consumed with wealth and luxury. And so many people will give up everything to have one more dollar. I'm willing to lie, cheat, and steal if I need to get ahead. And God calls us to not be so fixated on wealth. But he says, look, if you're going to follow me, you know what the joy is? That even in poverty, you have a Savior who loves you. And, and we can look at all the, the extravagance in this world and say, I don't need that because I can't take it with me. But I can always go to my Father. And so he's reminding us that when we plan and it doesn't go well, it's okay. It's okay. So what do we do? We plan and the Lord determines our steps. Let, let, me give you, let me give you a biblical example here from the life of Paul. We all know Paul was a faithful missionary around the world. And here's what it says in Acts. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mycenae, went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So in this passage, twice, Paul said, I tried to come to you, but the Spirit stopped me. I tried to get over to you to preach the gospel, but God wouldn't let me. And here's another one in Romans 15. He says, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. And after I've enjoyed your company for a while, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord of God's people there. So Paul's on his third missionary journey. He's in the city of Corinth and he's writing a letter to the Roman church. 
And he says, I want to come visit you guys. He says, actually, I want to go to Spain. But on my way to Spain, I'm going to stop over and I'm going to see you. And I want you to help me as I continue my missionary work to Spain. But before I do so, I got to go back to Jerusalem. The, the different churches have been giving me money so I can help our brothers and sisters over in Jerusalem who are sitting in poverty right now. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to drop the money off. And then I'm going to come to Rome. And then we're going to head to Spain. That's my plan, guys. And what happens? Paul makes it to Rome, right? He makes it to Rome only after he gets imprisoned in Jerusalem. And he goes through these hardships and he goes through these beatings and he gets shipwrecked. And then they make it to Rome. And then they release him. And then they arrest him again. And then church history tells us that he is beheaded. And Paul never makes it to Spain. Adam, the first story about Paul was a whole lot better, right? Because at least, at least in those instances where, 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 where he wanted to preach, God didn't let him because God was just taking him to another place to preach the gospel. But I don't like this one. Why, why would you have Paul? I mean, you look at what Paul did. Look at what Paul did. All of those disciples and all of those churches... Jerusalem and into Greece and into Rome? Why wouldn't you let him go to Spain? Why would you have him have his head cut off? Clearly God doesn't know what he's doing, right? Sometimes we plan, we pray, and it goes perfectly, right? But sometimes we plan, we pray, and our plans are prevented. And I think that's kind of the message of this Proverbs. And this is what we need to understand. That we form something, but it's God who performs it, right? We devise a plan, but he's going to be the one who verifies that. We're going to formulate it, he's going to validate it, and we're going to pre uh, propose it, but he's going to dispose it. I'm going to plan, and then God's going to do what God wants to do. And we can sit here and we can try to rationalize the life of Paul and what happened. And all of you can sit there and say, I tried to follow God and here's what happened. Tell me, Adam. You tell me, Adam. Why did all of this happen? All I wanted to do was serve and honor the Lord. Why did it go the way that I wanted it to? Go ahead, Adam. Explain it to me. Well, you know what? I can't. I can't. Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's probably not the most comforting piece of scripture, right? When things go wrong. But it's a theological truth. See, we live in the finite, but God is infinite. We can look in the past and we can see the present. But it's God who holds the future. And that's where we have to be okay with that. But I don't like that because I'm not in control. That's right, because you're not in control because God is. That's why I said we plan, we pray, and then we commit our ways to the Lord. And then God decides what he's going to do. But I can tell you this. 
I have no doubt that Paul wanted to get himself to Spain and he would have loved to get over there because that's where his heart was. And I'm sure that when Paul got himself imprisoned, probably had some of those moments that said, God, this is not what I was thinking. God, what are you doing? God, help me out. Help me understand. But here's also what I understand about Paul. Before he gets ready to head back to Jerusalem, he he makes his way back through the different regions and he's in the area of Ephesus and he says to, to the elders, he says, I'm now compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I don't think those were Paul's plans to get beheaded in Rome. But you know what? I think Paul's bigger plans was, God, you send me wherever you need me to go and I will share the gospel. Because that is the job that you gave me. And if it means imprisonment, and if it means hardship, if it means persecution, if it means death, then so be it. Because that is what we have been called to do. So what are we going to do, guys? As I said, this is, this is the big theological part of this. What we're going to do is we're going to plan. We are going to plan to love the Lord. We are going to plan to love one another in this church. We are going to plan to love our local community. We are going to plan to love the state, this country, and we are going to plan to love to the ends of the world. And as we love them the way that we love the Lord, we are going to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And as we plan, as we, as we get together as different groups of people and, and using your different gifts, we're, we're going to talk through it and we're going to say, what is the best thing we can do right now to honor and love the Lord? How, how, how is it that we can help a hurting community through this right now? And then we're going to make a plan and then we're going to pray over that plan. And then we're going to roll that stone over to God and we're going to say, God, this is now yours. And whatever you choose to do with that, God, we are going to believe the promises and the character of God. So if it doesn't go the way that we thought, that does not diminish what this church was faithful to doing. But we will continue to serve and honor the Lord. So as we head to the vision meeting after this, we close out with some worship, okay? I I want us to be in prayer about this. And we've started to do some planning. And we're going to hear some more details of what that is. But this is a collective effort by this church. Again, I'm not hired to do the entire ministry of Penn Valley. I've been hired to help lead this church. But every one of you, every one of you, is a vital member of the plans of God as we move forward. I want you to hear that, and I want you to understand that. So when we go into the gym, I want you to be thinking, where do I fit 
in this plan? How do I help serve and honor the Lord? And that may be big and it may be small, but every one of us has been gifted by the Spirit to do his kingdom work. Let's pray. Lord, you've helped us to answer a tough question. Human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Again, it's not clear cut, black and white. It's not the writing on the wall that we always have. Lord, you tell us to plan and so we do. Lord, may what this church chooses to do this year honor you. May there be spiritual success, Father. May, may there be the, the transformations of unbelieving hearts to, to ones of faith. May, may there be transformations of those steeped in their sins and hurt and brokenness be restored. May there be a constant praise that screams, not from just within the walls of these, this building, Lord, but from the lips of your people wherever they may go. So as we head to work, as we head to be with family, as we travel on vacations, as we, as we, we drive five minutes down the road or hop on a plane that's 13 hours from here, Lord, let us be like Paul, who has a heart to finish the race, the task of speaking your glorious praises for now and all of eternity, Lord. Amen.